0: I walk through the long schoolroom, questioning. A kind old nun in a white hood replies, The children learn to cipher and to sing, to study reading books and histories, to cut and sew, be neat in everything in the best modern way. The children's eyes, in momentary wonder, stare upon a sixty-year-old smiling public man. William Butler Yeats, Among Schoolchildren Reading, writing, and talking about books have occupied much of my life, and so, not surprisingly, it is here where I find I must begin. When I retired from the practice of law at age sixty-nine, I had more than enough time for the writing of my novels, and I gladly accepted the offer of my friend James Tuttleton, head of the English department at New York University, to teach there— They had adopted a policy of inviting known authors without academic qualifications to give courses, and Tuttleton had in mind that I might give one on Henry James and Edith Wharton, as I had written books on both. Ultimately, I did give such a course to a small group of graduate students, but what I had in mind was a more extensive course for undergraduates on Shakespeare and his contemporary dramatists. I had long wanted to do something to rebut the idiotic theories that the man from Stratford couldn't have written the thirty-seven plays attributed to him. My ambitions were further aroused by conversation with the brilliant U.S. Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, who told me that he favored the Earl of Oxford as the true author of Shakespeare's works. Hearing this from such an informed and learned man shocked me considerably— so I drew up a detailed plan for what we might cover that would illustrate my case. Each week, I envisioned the students would read a play of Shakespeare's along with something by a contemporary, say, Johnson, Marlowe, Webster, Beaumont, and Fletcher, Tourneur, Middleton, or what have you. My idea was to show that Shakespeare, with his education and background, fitted perfectly into his times, that he wrote for the theatre in much the same way as the others, using similar plots, ideas, and devices. But in short, I wanted to demonstrate that he was simply so much better than the others that in his hands all the conventions seemed new, fresh, and alive To think his plays were written by Bacon or Oxford is, in my opinion, to show a tin ear. A man with a tin ear for music has no trouble confessing it, but one with a tin ear for poetry may be genuinely unaware of it, especially in these prosaic-at-best times. Such a reader is aware of hearing the same words that a poetry lover does, and he believes that he gives them the same meaning." What is it then, he must ask himself, that sets the interpretations of experts apart from his own? When Hamlet ends his tragedy with the line, you that look pale and tremble at this chance, the less initiated reader hears only a simple sentence. Why is it experienced readers and scholars hear more and deeper meanings than the newcomer? How does one come to appreciate all these nuances? When I, attempting to make the seriousness of a judge appear trivial, approached the dean with my project, he looked doubtful. I know, I know, I said, responding to that look people get when their manners conflict with their purpose. Shakespeare is sacred territory, and I don't belong to the Union. Well, what are your qualifications, then? I'm a doctor of letters of NYU. There was a moment of surprised silence before the dean recovered himself, but that was honorary. You should be more careful in handing those things out. However minimal the dean considered my chances of success, I had won a victory, of sorts. The following fall I found myself facing some thirty young men and women, only five or six of whom had ever read a play by the bard. That many of them had no ear, for poetic language became only too clear when I read their papers, into which it was distressingly common for them to insert. With the stunning confidence of Dickens's errant urchins, plagiarized passages—